0: Okay, there is a thing called Brazilian prayer. Has anyone heard of that before? Anyone? Okay, because of COVID, we're not going to hold hands, but that's what they do in Brazil. And they pump their arms, and they all pray at the same time for the world. Do you think you can do that? Okay, let's pretend we're Pentecostals this morning. Amen? I grew up Plymouth Brethren, which is kind of the opposite of Pentecostal, but even I will pretend to be a Pentecostal this morning. To the glory of God. Amen? Okay, so what I want you to do is pump your arms. Let me see you practice doing that. Woo, ha, yeah, come on, yeah, good. All right, now think of which countries in the world are on your heart today, what might be on God's heart, and we're all going to yell out prayers or speak out prayers, don't be shy, okay, for the world all at the same time. Sound good? All right, let's all yell prayers at the same time for the world, starting now. Lord Jesus, we pray for this world. Father God, we pray that more Pentecostal more Pentecostal let's go louder everybody pray for those nations on your heart Lord Jesus we pray thank you Father God for what you're doing Lord we pray for the Muslim world we thank you that more Muslims are coming to Christ than ever before around the world praise you Lord especially from Iran and Afghanistan we pray For Afghanistan right now, with the recent takeover of the Taliban, we pray that you will work there, Father God. Continue to pray with me. Lord, we thank you for the amazing work you've done in China. We thank you for the millions who've come to know you in the last 20 years there. Father God, we thank you for your work in Europe. We pray for revival there. We thank you for this continent that was once the number one missionary sending continent in the world and today needs missionaries lord send laborers to that harvest field father we pray for latin america we thank you for the millions who have come into a personal relationship with you in our lifetimes we thank you for tremendous moves by you lord we thank you for what you're doing here at unionville alliance we pray father god that you will continue to use us in powerful ways Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Okay, you're, you're getting there. You're becoming a little bit more Pentecostal. Anyone feel that way this morning? It's so good to be here. Now, I was here about 10 years ago. I know I, it looks like I haven't aged a bit, and neither have you. Uh, but does anyone remember that 10 years ago I was here? Okay, a few of you. Wonderful. You look exactly the same age, sir and your wife even looks younger. Wow. It is great to be here. It's, um, maybe we can throw up my, my presentation up there. You know, I have heard about God's faithfulness here at Unionville Alliance, and you know, I was here a decade ago, and God has continued to be faithful here. Amen? The last couple of years have thrown us all for a loop, but God is working in powerful ways. God bless you, Unionville Alliance Church. That's my family. I was hoping to bring them today. By the way, the two children were not here last time in the world, last time I was here. I was hoping to bring them today, but you know how little kids are sick half the time? That's the case, and we didn't want to make your kids sick as well. I think we're all tired of being sick, right? So sadly, I couldn't bring them today, but... Just wanted you to see this photo, and that's my lovely wife, Jessie, and I'm gonna talk about her a little later on as I tell a story Daniel has asked me to tell, which is our wedding story. The Word became flesh and what? Dwelt among us. Who, Who remembers that verse? I think most of us have it memorized. Have you heard the message paraphrase of it? The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Now, before I continue, I just want to tell you all, who likes free things? Put up your hand if you like free things, okay. And who likes books? Does anyone here like books? Wow. Okay, well, I have good news for you. I'm gonna combine those two things together this morning and all of you, I wanna hear a cheer from you when you hear this, are gonna get a free book. (laughs) Woo-hoo! All right, so out on the table back there, I brought a lot of new books. I spoke about Europe in my prayer. This is a powerful book about what God is doing in Europe, the needs in Europe, the opportunities in Europe. It's called Europe Restoring Hope. A few of the books back there are by my mentor, George Verwer, the founder of Operation Mobilization. One of them is called Out of the Comfort Zone. If you feel like you're not sure how God wants to use you in global missions in the world, then this book is a powerful book for you. And other books by George Verwer, he tends to have pretty uh, humble titles. This one's called Drops from a Leaking Tap. That's what he considers himself, but it's pure wisdom. Lots of other books back there, including about purity, about being pro-life and winning others in a winsome way to that and other powerful books that have changed my life. So everybody gets a free book. Uh, Just one book each, please. I've had to learn to say that because some of us really love books and like to take 10, but sadly, we don't have enough for that. So just one free book and you are welcome to give a donation to move in. I'll talk a little bit more about that later on. So the Word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, it says Christ made himself nothing and humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, That though he was rich, yet for your sake, our sake, Unionville Alliance, he became poor, so that you, we, through his poverty, might become rich. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. That's our identity. And that's the identity out of which we imitate Christ and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The Word became flesh and moved in to the neighborhood. Thirteen years ago when I was 27, God gave me two words. Can anyone guess what they were? Move in, that's right. I had just come back from an incredible year around the world where in one year I went to five continents, 20 countries, 300 meetings in one year as the assistant to George Verwer, the man I mentioned earlier. And when I came back to Canada, I moved into a Muslim neighborhood and God began to download a vision to me that would become called Move In. It was a vision to go to young people and not to young people and to say, hey, would you consider moving into the opposite kind of neighborhood that we generally long to move into? Would you consider moving in to one of the poorest neighborhoods in Toronto, to one of the highest neighborhood neighborhoods in our cities, to one of the to a neighborhood where unreached people are arriving from around the world. And I was sharing this vision over coffee or over lunch with people, and it began to resonate. And then I thought, you know, let me share this vision with more than one person at a time. Let me put an event together, maybe 30 or 40 people. And so I chose a date 12 weeks out, and Dr. Charles Price of the People's Church got behind me. Many others supported what God was doing, and when the day of that event happened, we were so encouraged and blown away because 600 people came. That night, I said to those sitting there, I said, tomorrow is the second and last day of this event, this conference, this 24-hour conference. And, to- and tomorrow is only for those of you who are seriously considering moving in to one of these neighborhoods, one of these marginalized neighborhoods. We were so encouraged. The next day, 120 people came back, and we interviewed every single one of them, one at a time, through 20 wise people that we had asked to do that. We presented 25 different neighborhoods simultaneously in the church gym to to present the options to these young people. We actually prayer walked, and we drove, and we left the building, and we drove and we went to many of these neighborhoods, one neighborhood per person, to prayer walk and to process these things. And when everyone came back from the prayer walk after lunch that day, I handed each of them a piece of paper that essentially said yes and no on it. No meant, you know what, I don't think this is for me. And yes meant I am going to pray about this every week until God calls me to move into one of these neighborhoods or not. We commissioned those people in prayer, and then we left the building. And, you know, imagine this auditorium empty. That's what that building was like when that conference was over. And when there's an empty room, you are entirely trusting the Lord for what he's going to do. Amen? You could hear a pin drop in that auditorium. As always, God would decide what would happen. Over the course of that summer, many of those young people moved in. And by the end of that year, in 2009, eight different teams of young people moved into eight different neighborhoods, including Charles Price's own daughter. And God was at work. The vision began to spread. It spread to Hamilton. It began to spread across Canada. And I didn't, you know, I didn't know how to lead a whole global missions movement, and I I believe the Lord qualifies us as we put one step in front of the other. And he began to send more people to help me. And by the end of the next year, 2010, the movement had doubled to 15 teams to about 80 people. And it grew and grew the next year to 35 teams. That's around the time that I visited you last time. Since then, God has grown the movement to 45, 55, 65, 75, 85 teams around the world. Amen? 45 cities, 16 countries, Canada, the U.S., Mexico, El Salvador, Guatemala, Colombia, Chile, Brazil, Venezuela, England, Germany, Portugal, Albania, Slovenia, Indonesia, Philippines, and a couple of other countries in the works. My sister Chrissy was in Indonesia the year that move-in began and she was teaching at an international school, and at that school were some of the wealthiest children in all of Indonesia. That was uh, a job she got after studying in, in Canada and the US, and to pay off her student loans, she went over there and taught these very wealthy children. And Move In was starting back in Canada at that time, this very story that I shared about that conference. And my sister Chrissy wondered what this meant for her. You, you see, as part of her remuneration package, by the way, this also happened since the last time I was here. As part of her remuneration package, she was given free housing. It was a small mansion in a gated community with a live-in maid. She was paid very well. It was kind of the opposite of move-in. Amen? And so she wondered, what, is, what does this move-in vision mean for me? She, she prayed about it. That Christmas our family got together. See, we live around the world. I live in Canada. I'm the only one now, actually. My brother, one of my brothers lives in the U.S. My other brother lives in Australia. My two sisters live in Indonesia, and my mother is a 72-year-old missionary in South Africa. Praise the Lord. Sadly, my father passed away, but poured out his life for the Lord, and my mom continues to carry on. So it's a bit of an effort to have a family reunion. Amen? So that Christmas, we got together as a family, all of us, and my dad was with us at that time, and we had Christmas together. And even though we were on vacation, I said to my sister Chrissy, Chrissy, I know we're on vacation, but can we visit and pray for a slum? She said, I don't know where a slum is, but let me look into that. And she found a national, an Indonesian missionary, an Indonesian man and his wife, and they took us to go and visit his friends, people who lived in a slum, turned out to be the lowest of the low slum. We've learned that every slum, that there's a hierarchy, and this was the bottom slum. This was the slum where the beggars of the whole city lived, and it was a very marginalized place. And so our whole family, before embarking on our our vacation, we got into a van, and this Indonesian man took us And we walked into this slum and there were piles of garbage. We soon learned that everybody in this slum made their living by collecting and sorting garbage, some through prostitution, and most of them through begging, including the children who begged instead of going to school. My sister Chrissy is like that son in the parable who said he wouldn't, but then he did. Unlike the other son who said he would and then he didn't. She's that, she's, like, she's that kind of person who says no, but then does do it. And so she was worried that God would ask her to do something she didn't want to do. Have any of us been there before? As we walked into that slum, she had butterflies in her stomach. It was our first time, all of us, walking into the slum, and the, the beautiful people took what they had. And again, most of them are beggars. They bought brand new bottles of Coke for us. And we sat down with them and enjoyed their hospitality. For, for most of us, that was our one time. But Chrissy lived in Indonesia. And she went back every Saturday to that slum on her own. She sat on that same floor. She taught the women and the children English and different things. And one day she asked them a fateful question. She said, what would you think if I moved in here? Now, if you ask over-educated missiologists and academics of every stripe, and you know, sometimes we overcomplicate things. Amen. You know, we have all kinds of thoughts on something like that. But sometimes I think we need to ask the people themselves. Amen. So Chrissy asked the people themselves and said, "How would you feel if I moved in here?" And they answered in a way that we have since found. People all over the world living in those kinds of circumstances answer, they said, we would love for you to move in among us. But Chrissy had a problem. Remember, she's teaching the wealthiest children in Indonesia. Some of these children have three personal personal assistants each, a full-time driver, a full-time nanny, and some even have a bodyguard. Do you think the principal of that school is going to let my sister move into the most dangerous poorest neighborhood in the whole city? Probably not. So we mobilized prayer. We prayed that God would soften the heart of that principal. And amazingly when Chrissy in trembling fear went to him and asked if she could move in, he actually he didn't say no. He said, "But I don't have the authority to give you that permission. I actually am under the authority of someone who oversees our three sister schools. So let me ask him. Again, we mobilized prayer. The principal went to that superintendent. The superintendent gave permission. Praise God. And so the principal said to Chrissy, okay, you can move in. So Chrissy forfeited that mansion and that, the, the live-in-made situation that she had. She gave that up. That was part of her remuneration. And she moved into this beggar slum her rent was $50 a month. Who wishes their rent was $50 a month? She decided to rent the the room next to that room as a school room for the beggar children. And so every day, Chrissy woke up at 5 AM, drove her little motorbike through the streets to the wealthy children's school, taught them with love, because every child deserves that, poured out her heart. And then she came back to the slum, and she was always welcomed back by the same sight. You know what it was? a pile of dirty children's sandals and shoes outside that second room she rented because they were waiting for their only teacher in the world to teach them their lesson, for Chrissy to come and teach them. And so although so tired from having taught other children all day, she gave again. What little she had, she poured it out for these children. And then the call to prayer from the Muslim neighborhood mosque would would go out and the children would run off home. Then Chrissy would fall into, into bed bone tired and wake up again at five the next morning to do it all again. Chrissy was single and she wondered if God might want her to get married and a young man came along. The problem was he was on the other side of the world and the only way they could get to know each other was for Chrissy to go to, back to North America and get to know him. To make a long story short, they got married. They're a wonderful couple. They asked God, Lord, where would you have us go? Can you guess where the Lord led them? Back into the beggar slum. Today, Brian and Chrissy and their three kids live in that slum. And they have begun to see people come to Christ in a country where it is illegal to become a believer. They have begun to mentor the entire generation of children who had not gone to school. Now they are. One girl, about 12 12 years old, didn't have the confidence. She said, I'm not sure I'm good enough and smart enough for school. But Chrissy and Brian and now others encouraged her. Guess who's at the top of the class? That girl. Chrissy and Brian and 400 other people are now moved in as part of this movement. Thank you again, Unionville Alliance, for supporting us 10 years ago when when this was getting off the ground. We have have mobilized 1,100 people over 13 years. 400 of them remain in the movement. The movement has continued to grow as I said, to 85 teams in 45 cities in 16 countries. God has been faithful, amen? We estimate that we rub shoulders every day with 80,000 people. The worst neighborhoods, quote-unquote worst, we think they are sometimes the most beautiful neighborhoods that you've heard of. Jane and Finch, neighborhoods like that in the GTA, we live there. We live in those neighborhoods. And we also estimate that we know the names of about 21,000 people by name in the neighborhoods that we live in. God has been faithful. I'm going to share the wedding story in a few minutes, but first a few more scriptures. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I don't know if you know, but the Luke version of this very moment is put this way looking at his disciples. Did you ever notice this? Jesus is looking at his disciples. Imagine him looking in their eyes. And he said, Blessed are you. Who's he looking at? His disciples. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Verses like this make me want to be poor. And no, we may not be able to become economically poor, but we must, each of us, yearn to be poor in spirit. You know what? I think that means to be desperately dependent on God every hour of our lives. Proverbs 19, 17. I want to focus on God's heart for the poor for the remainder of this morning's message. And as we look in these scriptures, can you imagine, okay, let me, let's me. let remember when we were children. Did you ever ask your friend for $5? Hey, can you, borrow, can you lend me $5? Anyone done that before? How about your friend asking you? That probably happened more often, right? Can you imagine lending God $5? Can you imagine what a humbling... Incredible experience that would be. God needs $5 and he asks you for it. What does this verse say? Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. Isn't that incredible? This is the kind of God we serve. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. I believe that was a verse that was spoken last week right here by your previous speaker. Jesus identifies with the poor so much that he says, I. Isn't that striking? It's such a fascinating study. I want to encourage all of us. There are 2,000 verses in scripture about God's heart for the poor and I don't think we study it enough. So I want to challenge you to consider doing that in your own Bible study and devotional life. Here Jesus says, he is these things. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. Jesus here speaking. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison. Can you imagine Jesus in prison? I was in prison and you came to visit me. You know, Jesus stood up in the temple. Remember that time he read a scripture? He could have chosen any scripture from the entire Old Testament. Which passage did he choose? He chose this. It's almost as if somebody said, Jesus, why are you here? Jesus, why did you come to this earth? This is the scripture he read as he stood up in the temple. And he was quoting from Isaiah 61. It's repeated in Luke 4.18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Let me pause there. Why does it keep saying to the poor? Good news for the poor. You know, I believe that none of us came to Christ except, well, let me word it differently. Put up your hand if you're a believer. Praise the Lord. Let me tell you something. That moment you came to Christ, that moment you were ushered into the kingdom of heaven, that moment when Jesus saved you was a moment when you were poor in spirit. Amen. It was a moment when you recognized your utter dependence on him. Let's remember that. That moment is the kind of moment we should live in in our lives, utterly dependent on the Lord. So let's reread this with that in mind. Remember that you were poor when you were saved. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Like you, and you, and you, and you. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. Amen? Okay, put up your hand if you are into doctrine. I hope we all are to some extent, but some of us are really into it. So put your hand up high if you're really into doctrine. Okay, I dedicate this passage to you, all right? You know, I think this is an area that all of us have so much to discover. And, you know, I think sometimes as conservative believers, which I would consider myself one of those, you know, we would focus on the preaching of the gospel, and rightly so, let us continue to do that. But let us carry, hold that in one hand, and in the other hand, obey all of these scriptures. Let us not relegate helping the poor to, quote-unquote, liberal Christians. That would be unbiblical. The Lord calls us as conservative believers, as believers, period, to help the poor. And this is a doctrine-heavy passage that says exactly that. Now, look at this. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, these are pillars of the entire New Testament church. But it doesn't even stop there. Gave me, Paul, now if there isn't another pillar, I don't know what there is. Paul and Barnabas, the right hand of fellowship. See those five names? James, Cephas, John, Paul, Barnabas. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me, Paul, and Barnabas, the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Now look at this. This is a very strong next statement. It's got superlatives in it. Again, for those who are into grammar, notice that. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor. The very thing I had been eager to do. Who thinks that is a strong passage? This passage reminds us that the pillars of the New Testament, in imitating God's own heart, that we have reviewed a little bit, are prioritizing. They use words like, all they asked, and the very thing, and eager to do, to describe our commission to help the poor. Okay, it's time for that wedding story, but you don't want to hear that, right? I think I should sit down now. Okay, sounds like you do. So, remember that conference with 600 people there? There, I was single, very single. Can anyone relate to that? Praise, don't don't out yourself. No, praise the Lord. So, I was single, and I was, you know, the last thing on my mind in the, in that incredible situation of 600 people was anything along these lines but how could I not notice the beautiful young woman in the front row worshiping the Lord and smiling like wow what joy she had her name was Jessie and she was and would remain out of my league but let me tell you young men you can get Incredible women of God out of your league. Don't give up. You can do it. And so I began to zoom in on the target. And like young men often are, I was rebuffed. But again, don't let that discourage you too much. Persistence pays off. And, you know, this beautiful young woman, I'd actually known of her quite a bit. I'd kind of lost touch. But somebody else... It's a long, exciting story, actually, which I don't have time to tell about that. But somebody else invited her to this conference, even though her family were family friends of ours many years past. And she was one of the volunteers presenting one of the neighborhoods, one of the high needs neighborhoods, just volunteering to do that. And she did an incredible job. She lived in Hamilton, but drove into Toronto the week before to take photos and she did this beautiful, colorful presentation. And she just had such joy and passion. And so when I approached her, I really wanted to get to know her. And again, it didn't go super well for the first little while. But eventually she began to break down and she let me get, we, we began to, to, to get to know each other. And then as we, wanted, as we decided to, to see if the Lord might even have us you know go further there i lived in a single young man's apartment in one of these high needs neighborhoods it's about 25 minutes from here near the danforth near danforth and pharmacy and we were now dating and things were going fairly well and she moved into the young wom- women's apartment next door right in the building next door to mine and i hadn't proposed or anything but one day i said to her "Jessie." What if we got married right in this neighborhood? Now, this is one of the quote unquote worst neighborhoods in Toronto. There is an above ground train that goes by every two and a half minutes. There are dumpsters, there are gangs. There is, this is not what you dream of your wedding to be unless you, anyone dream that kind of wedding? So I said to Jesse, what if we got married right in this neighborhood? And she initially got excited because it was such a concrete, again, I hadn't proposed yet, and it was such a concrete suggestion that we get married. But then the fear began to creep in, as you can imagine. And, you know, the next day she came back to me and said, you know, it's exciting, but I just think it's too much. You know, there's the gangs and there's, there's the garbage and, you know... All of, the, all of those things, but the train, the train just takes the cake. I mean, the train is so loud, you cannot hear each other speak whenever it goes by, every two and a half minutes. How do you, tell, how do you say your wedding vows in that kind of a situation? Like, this is a harebrained, crazy idea. And I said to Jesse, I agree, those are big obstacles, but can you, would you, would you pray about it? And so Jesse went back and she actually had her daily devotional, and the Lord led her. The Lord led her to this passage, which I put up here Luke 14, 13 to 14. This is the passage the Lord led Jesse to read. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And when Jessie read that passage, she knew that actually this is what God wanted for her and for us. And not long after that, I did propose. It was a wonderful moment where she said yes, and we began to plan our wedding, but there were so many obstacles, even more than we envisioned. This was on private property, and, you know, this is, this is rough and tumble stuff. Like the landlords are, are not always the most amenable people. So we called the landlord and he said, absolutely not. I will not let you. I've never been asked in 30 years of owning, of managing 16 buildings in the city of Toronto. I've never been asked for a wedding and no, you cannot. So that seemed like the end of that, right? Kind of like when we asked the principal if he could move into the slump. But we didn't give up. We kept praying. In fact, we just assumed that God would open the door. And so my family began booking their flights to come from around the world. Another obstacle was there was a postal strike. Remember that postal strike? You might remember it. That was like the exact time when we were going to send out our wedding invitations. What about the space? There was only one space that was somewhat conducive to a wedding. And we wanted to invite a lot of people We weren't sure they would all fit. You know, there were the gangs, there were the dumpsters, there was the garbage, there was the train. But we've just learned that there's always something that will stop you from doing something radical. And so we just proceeded. And so, I forgot to mention one other thing. The space only held about 500 people. Now that might seem adequate to most, but we wanted to have more than 500 people at our wedding. So we decided to have two weddings in one day, a full hour-long ceremony with vows and a three-hour reception with dinner twice. Is that harebrained or what? So we proceeded, and the day of the wedding came, and it was a beautiful day, and we took what very little we had financially, and we had rented 500 white chairs, we had beautiful ceramics, and we had beautiful tents and sparkling lights, and it came time for the first wedding, and God sent so many people to fill those chairs. And Jesse walked down the aisle. We decided to even uh, dress in a way that matched our neighborhood. So Jesse wore a beautiful white sari from India, and I wore like a Prince Aladdin kind of thing. Amen? You know you wish you did that at your wedding, right? And so Jesse walked down the aisle, and it was a beautiful Day, there was no rain. We just praised God for that. And then we had our wedding photos in between the two weddings. We had, one of, we had some photos on the balcony looking down, 16 floors above, looking down at the wedding site. It was minutes away from the second wedding, and we got really discouraged because we looked down, and there was almost nobody there. We thought, oh, no, what were we thinking? When you do harebrained things, sometimes bad things happen. And so we said, Lord, you did such an amazing thing at the first wedding. You know, maybe everyone came to that first wedding. And maybe we made a huge mistake. And we got down. Again, Jessie in her white sorry, me in my Aladdin gown. We got down and we prayed and we said, Lord, we give you the second wedding. We postponed it a few minutes, about 20 minutes. And when Jessie walked down the aisle, The second time, there were more people at the second wedding than at the first. And we estimate that about 1,200 people came to our wedding that day. There were 400 people dancing. It went from 11 a.m. right until after dark, which is quite something in mid-July. After 11 p.m., dancing with beautiful lights and music. And God was glorified as we shared our testimonies, as we shared about Jesus. The whole day in one of the most Muslim neighborhoods in the whole city of Toronto, we shared the good news of Jesus, had songs, Christian, spiritual songs in different languages. We had books of, we had a table full of Bibles in different languages, and they were cleaned right off by our neighbors. Praise God. So God was faithful. But what about that train? Does anyone want to hear about the train? I think I'm over time. I'm going to sit down. So, Okay. You want to hear the end of that story? Jesse's non-Christian aunt, after the wedding, said, did you call the city of Toronto? She was boggled as to why the trains slowed down when they passed the wedding site every two and a half minutes. Turns out there was construction the day of the wedding, 100 meters up the track that caused all of those trains to slow down. God is faithful. God is moving. Amen. And since then, we have seen many people come to Christ in our neighborhood. An Iranian mother and her son. An Israeli Muslim lady who was initially resistant to the gospel, gave her life to Christ, turned out to have the gift of evangelism and led. Many of her extended Muslim family to Christ. An elderly Japanese lady who then joined our team and knocked on the doors of our Bangladeshi Muslim neighbors. Some Roma gypsy children came to Christ. We have seen miracles happen. Amen? God moves the hearts of wealthy school superintendents. He moves the hearts of landlords who've never been asked to have a wedding on their property. He'll even slow down trains when we ask him. That is Jesse and myself on the day of our wedding. That was one of the two weddings that day. Our family That was my wedding. That was the gentleman who officiated our wedding, an incredible Eritrean pastor who is still on the move-in board, serving on the board of move-in to this day. A picture of the sign of that table of Bibles. We gave away dozens of Bibles in different languages. We didn't have wedding parties because there were far too many people to choose from. So the day of the wedding, Jesse asked the little girls who arrived from Muslim families if they would be her wedding party, and they loved it and said yes. That's the photo we took on the balcony moments before we got down on our knees to pray And God answered our prayer for that second wedding. So to close, oh, before I close, this is a photo from just a few days ago. Our son, Courage, just turned five in the middle there. This is steps away from our neighborhood. We still live in that same neighborhood. Our second son, Christian, two and a half years old, And they love living in this neighborhood, just as Chrissy's children love living in the beggar slum in Southeast Asia. Couple things before I close. One, I really want to keep in touch with you. So please follow me and Jesse on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, and everywhere else. Nigel Paul and Jesse Paul. It's pretty easy to find us. Also move in. Just Google it, Google all those things. Please follow us, we wanna keep in touch with you and we will respond every time you write a comment or message us, we wanna keep in touch with you. Each of you again get a free book on your way out. That's our gift to you. And I wanna tell you something if you feel like giving back in any way. In three weeks, my family, Jesse, Courage, Christian, and myself are going to New York City and I'll be running a half marathon because it is our biggest event of the year. It's also our biggest fundraiser of the year for Move-In. And I'm the international director and sometimes it's a bit, you know, a bit of, it's a bit of a tall order but uh, last year at this time we saw $400,000 come in. In the next three weeks by God's grace, I need to raise about $400,000. So if any of you want to be part of that, you can be. You can come up to me afterwards and speak with me. You can throw something into the bowl back there when you get your book, if you like. But please take it as a free gift from us. And because it's this special event, we've had a kind anonymous donor who said he wants to double all of the gifts. So any gifts we get today, any checks or anything, will be doubled. As we fuel the next year, as we mobilize in the next year, as part of our vision to see thousands more moving in around the world, I want to close with something to encourage and inspire you. There was a young man who was part of the reason why my own father became a missionary. His name was Jim Elliot. Anyone heard of him? Jim Elliot heard about an unreached people group in Latin America, and he and his wife, and he mobilized some others, they went. And this was a cannibalistic tribe in Latin America. And sadly, in attempting to reach this tribe, and at first it was a friendly encounter, but on the next encounter, unexpectedly, this tribe, which still needed To experience the, the love and grace of God. Sadly, they killed Jim Elliott and the, I believe it was two other young men with him who were who were going to in a friendly way meet this tribe. But in God's purposes, Jim's wife and the other wives said, We are not gonna give up. And they kept praying and they kept persevering, and they were received in a loving way by this tribe and actually moved in among these people. And the end of that story is that the whole tribe came to Christ. Amen? Before Jim Elliott died, he said these words. Think about these words. As we live in our neighborhoods, in the Unionville area or wherever you live, as we live these years on earth and have a chance to serve the Lord. As we think about the 2 billion people in the world who are desperately poor, as we think about another 2 billion people in the world who have never heard the gospel of Jesus, let us pause for a moment to consider these words spoken by Jim Elliot before he died, not knowing that he would so soon be killed. He said, he is no fool who gains what he cannot keep. Sorry, who gives what he cannot keep. Let me start again. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Amen? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your faithfulness. Thank you that you continue to move mountains. Thank you that you continue to slow down trains. That you continue to move hearts to say yes. Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness at Unionville Alliance. I see it here. With each person who is in the room now, I see your faithfulness, Lord. I know that this is a sending church, that this is a going church. And Lord, I just want to bless this congregation and thank you for them. I thank you for the rich fellowship I've enjoyed today here. And we thank you for Jesus, who was, he who was rich became poor so that we could become rich. In Jesus' name. Amen.